Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. This is Nick Shalom. Thanks so much for joining us in the next episode of In the Nick of Time. Today, I'm pretty excited. We're going to have a technical episode. We didn't have uh, uh, a technical episode in the in the show in quite some time, so I think it's going to be pretty interesting. If you want to learn more about uh, Kubernetes security, runtime security, things like uh, Cube Armor and eBPF and why they matter and and why are they essential to your cyber cyber defense. So we're going to talk today. Uh, with a great guest, a uh, great expert in the domain, uh, involved directly with the, the CNCF community on the Cube Harmer project. Uh, so we'll dig into that in a minute. But as always, make sure that uh, you take a look at the latest videos that we have posted on YouTube. Uh, if you've missed it, we just released uh, about a few days ago uh, a, a, a video on chaos engineering and why uh, uh, chaos matters, particularly for weapon systems, but pretty much for any production system, and the principles of chaos. Uh, so check out that video on YouTube. Also, um, you know, subscribe to the youtubecom slash uh, um ch channel so you can uh, get notifications for our next videos. We're going to be publishing 45 segments uh, covering everything between culture and actual deep dive technical. Uh, uh, deep dives and also um, acquisition-related uh, training, so you can really understand what it takes to uh, move to that uh, digital transformation mindset and what are the critical uh, pieces to understand, including specifically for non-technical people, so they understand better why all this matters and why they should pay attention to all of this stuff. So check out those videos, and uh, like I said, we have a full segment coming out. Uh, in August, that's going to be pretty cool stuff. Um, finally, uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to our mailing list at, so you can get notification about the, the different live episodes uh, by going to the internetofTime.tv. All right, so first, before bringing uh, Nat today on the, the screen first, I wanted to bring up uh, a little bit of his background so you know who he is. Uh, like I told you, he is a world expert in cyber is uh, today the co-founder and CEO of Acunox. And Acunox is the Zero Trust runtime security company uh, that was founded in partnership with the Stanford uh, Research Institute. They, they have uh, uh, quite a bunch of patents, 15 patents, when it comes to identity-based zero trust, micro-segmentation, AI, uh, and unsupervised-based anomaly detection, and of course, uh, data, data security as well. Before that, uh, uh, Nat was the uh, co-founded uh, co also uh, Alcavio, the leader in deception technology uh, with uh, honeypots on steroids uh, that uh, was uh, in partnership uh, with DHS and CMS and Verizon and Honeywell. Uh, and before that, he was the EVP of worldwide operations at Alco Technology, uh, one of the leader in, in uh, an early leader really of, of uh, two-factor authentication back then uh, with federated authentication that was acquired by uh, by CA Technologies uh, for 200 million back in 2010. Uh, he has uh, a MS in engineering from the University of uh, Virginia and a BS in engineering uh, from uh, Bombay uh, and is now based in the Silicon Valley. So let's bring uh, Nat on the screen in a second. Uh, hi, how are you doing this morning? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. How are you? Uh, you look very good. You got an amazing background. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's it's all fake. It's all fake, you know. But it's, it works, you know. But 
<laughs> love DC, you know, and people always say, oh, it's Paris. I'm like, Americans tell me it's Paris all the time. I'm like, you don't recognize the Lincoln Memorial behind me. That's okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, we live wanted in the meta, to... meta world, right? Meta world. We live in. Yeah. Wanted to thank you first for joining the show. We have so many people already ask a bunch of questions. And, you know, we, we're going to cover some pretty deep technical subjects. Not everyone is technical. So, so my goal is to make sure uh, we bring it to them in a way that they understand so we don't lose half of the audience. But uh, first, as we always thought, you know, I love to get a little bit of your journey. And so that, that's my first ask to you is give us a little bit of, of a background as to how you got there, how you acquired all this deep expertise and how you get engaged, uh, you know, with Stanford uh, to, to really do this joint engagement and why this came to be. Absolutely, Nick. Uh, how would you and the audience like it? Would you like it uh, reverse chronological or chronological? Or yeah, whatever. You, I guess start maybe uh, from the, the beginning, you know, when okay. you were one years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in a log cabin with no running water. <laughs> See, that's a good, you know, and, and by the way, that demonstrates kind of the, the fact that, you know, uh, hard work and, and real, um, you know, uh, expertise and, and, and hard work can let you succeed in everything that despite wherever you started and now you're, you're in Silicon Valley. Yeah, in, uh, like, in almost California. Like, like you, uh, like almost everybody on this call uh, in the tech field, the cyber field, you pretty much start as a techie, right? You start writing code after my master's from University of Virginia, not very far from where you live, uh, Nick, <laughs> in Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, started writing code for, uh, for very coincidentally a french company called alcatel in washington dc and uh, was first was part of their uh, medical imaging division a lot of code and embedded uh, image processing and the like then the telecom division a lot of signal processing and the like and uh, then moved to the business side but have been the modesty technical so have spanned like uh, most of us, right? The generation of client server, then the first generation cloud, just nothing more than say uh, Netscape browser and Netscape server and the like. And then now we are living in this amazing world, modern world of uh, microservices, public cloud, hybrid cloud and everything in between. In that journey, right? For the last 10 years, I have been in uh, 15 years almost in security. Uh, starting from, you know, what are the easiest problem you solve, right? This is the problem of two-factor authentication. That's really where uh, I cut my teeth and uh, got my security chops, if you will. It's the easiest uh, problem, but most people still don't do it, so they should, they should, they should really take it seriously. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the, 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 that, is, that is an amazing journey at Arcard. We worked with uh, the truly industry gurus, right? Uh, uh, Martin Hellman, the inventor of uh, public key cryptography, and Tahir El Gamal, the of the El Gamal, uh, Diffie El Gamal. So there's some amazing people. You can't, you can't top that. You can't top that. Yeah, exactly. So, so the public key cryptography is, you know, I think uh, I, I always tell people the easiest software to use in the world, security software, to me is the SSL library. Right? What they did an amazing job of is abstracting all the PKI complexity, digital signature, signing and authentication, reputation, all that, right? So, 
So that, that, that's the world we came from. And these are the days when uh, multi-factor authentication really was what was needed. Then came risk-based authentication, then came federated authentication, worked with MasterCard, Visa uh, to build out their 3D Secure program, which is one of the largest federated authentication program. So that was an amazing journey. And uh, that uh, was a nice exit, uh, CA, SiteFinder was an amazing IDM and IAM platform, and they found that is a classic kind of burger and fries, right? You know, this is a great way to the last mile security is what we provided. Uh, we had a partnership with them, and that partnership really flourished. And some a lot of these partnerships remain a partnership, and they move to the next step, which is a merger, and that's what happened. And that's an amazing division. At that time, we were probably again plus minus 20, $30 million. Now we are well north $150 million. So it's, it's a great way to uh, sort of uh, take two amazing technologies and bring together amazing value. And at the end of the day, customer benefits, shareholder benefits, employee benefits. Right? So that was a nice journey. And yeah, uh, then got bought by Broadcom. I know VMware is getting I, bought by Broadcom. So it's I know, I, I know <laughs> no comments there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. be careful. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yep. And I came out to a very interesting journey uh, because my co-founder, uh, Asif Ali, I've known Asif for the last 15 years, great, great techie. Again, he'd done a number of uh, large-scale cloud architecture, modernization. This was about four years ago, lift and shift from data centers, SaaS data centers to, uh, you know, Rackspace data centers to the cloud, go from first generation cloud migration to everybody wants to get to the cloud. Then they realize that, hey, it's, got, it's costing me 2x more. And duh, you should have known that, right? So then <laughs> because uh, it, it, it is, it's like you not know, going from, you know, a, a, a large house to uh, uh, an apartment, right? You have sort of the worst of both, right? So, so then right. people say, yeah, what do I do now? So a lot of these C CIOs, CISOs consulted with ASIF and say, okay, now I have to think about microservices. Do I do Docker? Do I do container? Do I do Mesos? Do I do Kubernetes? Uh, do I go jump all of that, go to serverless and everything in between, right? And so he had a number of CIOs in Silicon Valley with this cloud transformation. After about uh, 12, 18 months, one CIO of a very large company said, hey, you've done a great job of taking me through the Kubernetes journey, microservices journey. Now, how do I know it's secure? So that is sort of the aha you know, moment. And that's when he came to me. His background is more DevOps, dev, uh, you know, more uh, cloud architecture and microservices. He came, and because of my security background, we started ideating, right? And uh, that's when we spent a couple of weekends. We said, you know, Kubernetes is very, very ephemeral, very transient, and these are public information, right? Tesla had a big uh, uh, a breach. A number of there were a number of companies in the Kubernetes journey which had a breach. And just the scale volume is massive, right? Uh, again, these are public numbers. Netflix spins up and down 175,000 containers a day, right? So, and the, so the simple things like IP tables, C groups, which we all know how to do, sort of breaks apart at this scale, volume, the level of ephemerality, right? So that's when he came to me, and that's when we started ideating, right? So, so that was that was the start of a journey, and. 
we said, okay, let's start with a clean slate, right? But what is a clean slate? You obviously IP addresses don't work. So you need identity as a perimeter. Again, this is a again, this was not our brilliance, right? Other people had tried it, right? But uh, to do it nice and clean, you end up building your own PKI, and that's a thankless journey, right? <laughs> Nobody, either very smart or very stupid, should do that, right? So nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so that's when we said, uh, luckily for us, that's about the time uh, Google had spun out a project called Spiffy. So we said, yep. this is brilliant. This, this takes away all the kind of headache and the rigmarole of uh, managing uh, identities, right? Uh, not just the user identity is a very simpler one, right? Which is what Okta and other people are focused at. The service identities were the next, you know, the harder problem. And uh, previous generation people who tried to implement identity as a perimeter struggled and spent 10, 20, 30 million dollars of VC funding, right? So we said, this is fantastic. We can take Spiffy project, which around that time had been spun out as a separate company, Cytale, which then later got by acquired by HPE, which is an amazing CNCF project. And we talked to a number of large companies, right? And they were all adopting. So we said, this is a great building block for us to build out of, right? Then around the same time, uh, eBPF had come about. So what we said is there are some very fundamental building blocks available. So you don't have to, it's like building a house. Building a house is hard business, but you know, starting a plumbing factory is harder, right? Starting a concrete factory is harder. So we said, these are all things that are available. And that sort of formed the basis. Uh, and let me pause, ask you any questions before I take you. No, this is great. Next and I guess we, I kind of cut it in a, you know, you you kind of did a great job summarizing the, the journey. Uh, I cut it into uh, simple bites for the audience to be able yeah. to, to, to keep tracking what we were saying. The first piece, you know, I think would be great for people to understand is kind of what is uh, Cube Armor, you know, the, the CNCF journey, what Absolutely. does it do, what's all the benefits, right? You Absolutely. talk about Spiffy Inspire, but now yes. let's talk a little bit about Cube Armor. Absolutely. Yeah, Cube Armor was a very interesting project. Uh, again, uh, so the way the company got about was we uh, went to, to Stanford Research Institute. Phil Porras is a very uh, sort of top flight cybersecurity architect. And we started ideating. And then we said there are three broad and the basic technologies you need, right? You need, you know, how do you uh, implement container level security at scale easy, in an easy way? You need that, you need to solve that problem. Second is, that's fine and dandy. What happens if there's any anomaly, any deviation, any kind of uh, drift? So you need some anomaly detection, uh, you know, some AI unsupervised learning based thing. And the third key technology building block you need is, you know, uh, data. At the end of the day, data is a new oil. So how do you create data firewalls? How do you protect the data? This is when GDPR was getting very big, CCPR was getting big. So those are the key building blocks, right? Then we said uh, the consumption model of enterprise software has also changed a lot, right? Since the time Nick, you, know, you and I sort of uh, have been around a few years. In the good old days, you had you know, amazing technologies built by large enterprise companies, it pretty much was top down, CISO down, CIO down, right? 
today, just because of the proliferation of the technologies and the complexities of the technologies and the sophistication and the change and CNCF and open source building some amazing technology, the consumption model has also changed, right? Which means that it's becoming much, much more a bottom-up consumption model, security architect, security engineer, DevSecOps consumption model. So we said, you know, anything we build has to be sort of, we have to think about open source first as a way of consumption. And cube armor was again a very interesting thing because uh, uh, SecComp, SELinux, App Armor, these are amazing technologies which are developed either by DoD or in conjunction with DoD projects, which were really a great way for you to harden uh, Linux, right? Yep. So, and those technologies were hard. And when you talk to people, we said a lot of people were almost afraid of uh, playing around with it because it was very, very hard, right? Yeah, you don't want to mess it up. Yeah, it's exactly. also like, it's, it's dependent on the Linux distribution. So if you're moving between, you know, Ubuntu and RHEL, you're going to have like, precise. different ways yeah. of doing it. Precisely. Yeah. So, and we said, you know, that you have to have the same hardening technologies applied at the container level, at the, right. at the pod level, right? So that's when we said, rather than reinvent something new, let's take the same concepts and apply, and apply it at the pod level. So that was, and then we, again, the, the good news about us is we are very big about getting market validation, right? You know, we can sit and drink our Kool-Aid and sit in our ivory tower, <laughs> but we said, let's quickly. Know for sure, yeah. Yeah, so so between the few the hyperscalers in Silicon Valley, a few a very large money center banks on the East Coast and Washington, D.C., DOD agency, they said, this is fantastic. This is exactly what we want. And that sort of was the foundation of, uh, of Cube Armor, right? Cube Armor is all about providing the same level of hardening of the technologies, which has been around for a long time, like App Armor, SA Linux, KSRI. And you know how do you apply in the Kubernetes security policies and apply them to uh, in LSNs? At the same right. time, you want uh, the eBPF. Uh, eBPF is another great technology. And uh, yeah, wait, wait a bit on the eBPF because that's going to be another whole deep dive. But yes, just, yes, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. just for people, right? That, that may absolutely, not know. absolutely. So, so, so what uh, we said is we, we want to idiot proof it, right? The thing of right. again, we tend to in our own world tend to complicate it. Yes, the technologies have to be obviously these are not trivial technologies, so they have to be sophisticated, but we have to simplify it so much that it becomes sort of an A column install. It never will be that, but we want to make it as simple as possible so that it's consumable. And, so it's, it's, and is, it's open source and part of the CNCF, right? Correct, exactly. That was, uh, again, so we presented to the CNCF Policy Management uh, Committee and immediately that's like almost Eureka, right? They said, this is fantastic. We want to sponsor. Luckily, yep. a couple of large organizations also lent support. That always makes a big difference. It's about it's not just about vendor tooting our own sure. horn, but a couple of large people saying, yes, this will fall behind it. And the rest is, so it's been a very great consumption model. We are up to over 170,000 uh, users right now. And it has been a great journey. And so, so what we really focused on is the complexity is good because you can deliver robust security, but you need to, again, simplify it so that it's consumable. Right. That's really what we yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's see if I can summarize some of the stuff you said to see if the audience, you know, agrees with uh, whatever I'm saying. Okay. So, uh, I guess Cube Armor is kind of an abstraction layer. So, you don't have to uh, be 
boggle down to the app armor at the Linux level. So for people that don't know, uh, in fact, beauty has mandated uh, in the Kubernetes hardening guide and the STIG, uh, the use of uh, AppArmor and SC Linux to be able to not only secure the container level in the pod, but also the, the node. And that's the beauty of also, of course, uh, of KubeArmor. It's it's able to effectively use the Linux uh, security modules, right, to be able to enforce uh, certain security uh, principles across and agnostic to the, the type of node or the type of uh, operating system you're using. And it's, it's able to do a pretty deep, behavior uh you know such as you know the the process execution enforcement the file access enforcement the networking access so it's really covering not just the uh the networking piece but also the the access to files and processes and it's able to do it both at the container and the node level and and, and you know some example of, of i guess you know i think people like always a couple of good example you could you could restrict the behavior of containers at the system level but you can also enforce security policies in runtime and, and kind of produce container uh, alerts uh, with uh, system logs and, and really kind of streamlining that uh, uh, semantic, right? So, so you don't have to do it per, per operating system. So that gives you uh, the same enforcement across across uh, your entire stack, no matter you know what kind of uh, uh, Linux distribution you're using. And, and of course, all that was made uh, open source and part of the the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Did I did I get it right? Absolutely, absolutely right. And we're adding other things such as file integrity monitoring, all of that to make it really kind of robust and full stack. Yeah. Yeah. So we got we got Cube Armor. Now, you know, a lot of people are saying to talk about eBPF and a lot of people honestly are getting a little bit confused. And I, I have to say maybe maybe it is confusing uh between you know kind of the, the differences or the benefits of the the, the 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 play there is between ebpf and service mesh we had here on the show of course uh the easter guys so they told yeah. us about the mesh before but but tell us a little bit about what ebpf is uh ebpf is uh, the easiest way to think about ebpf and cilium is they really make your kernel programmable right so if you think about uh, you know what it JavaScript do. JavaScript, most people thought of as a you know, flaky language, not really for real computer scientists. But the brilliance hmm. of JavaScript was it made your browser programmable, right? So, right. So, what used to be like simple if you go to Yahoo screen or AOL screen 15 years ago, which looked pretty much like an IBM Selectric typewriter, right? Right. So, and Today, it's a big, made it unbelievably programmable, right? So you didn't need enormous uh, graphic artists and programmers to make it uh, in Adobe Flash, all that sort of silly technologies which came about, right? So what mm -hmm. this made, similar to that, right? To make the kernel programmable is a very hard problem because, you know, one, you're running in the kernel space, which is really a very uh, sort of the, the inner side. You don't want to mess that one up. Exactly, exactly. So, so how do you do it? And that really was the brilliance of eBPF, right? It, it added a level of programmability in a very safe and an extremely safe, secure, secure way. Secure and it's it just-in-time compiler, right? So that's, exactly. that's exactly. naturally compiled. And so it's very fast, right? Yeah. And, and obviously, the limits to what you can, you can do, you cannot write re-entered code and things like that. But, but that's sure. enough for you to do lots of things. You know, what do you want to do? You want to observe right and we are as we all know audit d was such a you know uh, uh, sort of poor slow as molasses right so if you want to <laughs> do really 
uh, fast and furious observability and enforcement and traceability, right? Tracing, yeah. EBPF is EBPF and and the rest is history, as they and say. You can right? touch networking. Uh, you can touch networking too, and, and the whole security apparatus of, of the kernel. Correct, correct, correct. And you know, if you look at uh, the uh, Facebook's uh, load balancer, Catran is based on this eBPF, right? If you look at Cloudflare's mm -hmm. CDN, is based on eBPF. So this is not sort of some casual sort of hippie project. And now eBPF yeah. Foundation has come about. This is really a broad industry between Microsoft and Google and Facebook and Netflix behind it, right? And uh, ISOVALEN behind it. So you have great community support. And so what we're doing is like a lot of people initially said, hey, if you secure the network, you're really securing the application, which as we all know mm -hmm. is hard. True, right? So while other people were focusing on securing the network, we said let's focus on application data. At the end of the day, that mm -hmm. really is the crown jewel, right? So that's what we focused on. And yeah, obviously so in to innovate the performance. Netflix was a big part of our, you know, what we call design customer or, or you know uh, design partner. And they have a mandate that security is great, but it cannot consume more than five percent of Mm. Assets, right? The assets, right? That's uh, network, CPU, this thing. So if you are to keep it within that, you've got to be not only uh, sophisticated, you also have to be clever and efficient, right? Yeah, and lean, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, and so you did mention it for a second, but there's this kind of CVM, right? Open source uh, also uh, project that kind of encapsulate eBPF to make it kind of a, a whole container you know, security stack, right? That that, that effectively use eBPF to to implement it to to observe and 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 it, it does effectively kind of um, pretty much what a what a sidecar envoy proxy in a service mesh would be doing, except right is doing it using the kernel, and 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 so effectively, you know, some people say it's 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 twenty twenty plus percent, uh, you know, faster. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would that's say it's, big, it's, yeah. I, I would that's say it's big, even that's a big difference, right? Correct. Correct. That's, so, so effectively, I guess you get you get some of the same benefits, right, of, of what a service mesh can do, but but you also get maybe a deeper access to what the kernel, uh, you know, uh, can can watch and 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 kind of uh, you know enforce, right? So so you could you could effectively um, do that more natively and, and faster, Correct. but. but but I guess, do you see a use case? And that's a question I always, you know, get is, is okay, but if I already have a service mesh or if I already use a service mesh or if I'm planning on using a mesh, is there a use case where you see benefits in using both, you know, uh, an eBPF security layer and, uh, and a mesh with Envoy, for example? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, for multiple reasons, right? You know, so one is a performance. A second is in a deep kernel observability. And the other mm -hmm. thing which we offer over and beyond a lot of people, other people, vendors, is runtime enforcement, right? So right. it's not just about watching the traffic and uh, observability, but compared to other uh, projects, to CNI projects, right? We can do mm -hmm. uh, inline uh, observability and enforcement. So so it's enforcement. rather than being asynchronous, we can be very, very synchronous. It could be a preventive, a pre it could be a preventive layer. Okay. But, but do you see, do you think of it as potentially in the future replacing the mesh? 
Um, no, no, I, 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 I think I, I think coexistence would be uh, the right thing for most people. If performance mm -hmm. is not an issue, if if you just want simple WAF L7, uh, you know, security, then service mesh will do just fine, right? But if mm -hmm. you want tunnel observability, L3, L4, L7, and if you want performance, I'm talking about telcos, IoT, 5G. Uh, Right, uh, edge, and so those kinds of you know, there's clearly a class of applications. Oh, or maybe embedded system that have limited, so it would be pretty irrelevant to to the DoD, right? Because it would have Correct. limited hardware. Correct. In fact, the, the next episode on the show, we can have the the people joining uh, from the embedded system side of the house, and they're going to oh, tell really? us about the, the yeah would, the, the challenges. I would, between, I would look forward to that. I would look forward. To yeah, that. between software and hardware, and decoupling, you know, the software and and running on on very limited. Uh, yeah. hardware with non non intel chips and you know so so there's a lot of lot of complexity there correct um so performance is obviously critical particularly when you have limited uh compute and, and memory um correct. so so if so so we talked about cube armor right which, which gives you kind of the sc linux app armor abstracted yes. layer so you can you can add a, a drastic level of security both to, to, your, to your nodes the virtual machines and to the container then we talk yeah. about eBPF going going down to the the kernel level to kind of um, use just in time compilation to create maybe customized set of of hooks and and things to enforce whether it's uh you know file using file uh, management storage or network things yes. sockets TCP/IP whatever level you're doing it like you said that that gives you a deeper access to the lower level right so so the the yes. mesh is more focused on layer seven that would give you all of the above right so that's that's kind of the the beauty there. So now you know we, we got the basics of this. Um, you talked about CDM a little bit, but how did you see uh, CDM play into this, and how what are they what are they bringing to the table? I guess. I mean, like CDM is uh, the one is maintaining the, the the community, which is a big thing, and yep. uh, they clearly are solving an important problem, and the hard problem is network security, which is which is a big mm -hmm. one. Again, as I'm sure you know, a number of them come from Nisira, the, the whole you know, Nisira background. So they know, understand that problem very well. We are at the application level. We are at the data level. So we, we are at a higher level of abstraction where they you know, support the foundational elements, right? So. Right. And they also a CNCF project, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, yeah. so we are incubating core, core contributors to Spiffy, your core contributors to Cilium, in addition to our own uh, contribution, QBarber. So we're big believers right. in, you know, both consuming from the ecosystem, contributing back to the ecosystem, and adding sufficient value. Right. So it gives you a lot of layer of security, and and you kind of came up with this additional layer um, in your in your product, which is kind of this uh, a policy template uh, concept yes. and the. You know, obviously, policy as code is so important uh, for DoD and moving to GitOps and, and faster as code. So, tell us a little bit about what is this uh, kind of policy template concept that you? you yeah, know? that's uh, the thing is, uh, if you want to, for first is observability, right? Like, as I say, you mm -hmm. cannot secure what you don't see, right? So, so first is to observe what you what is going on, and based on once you observe. Then you want to come up with policies which are essentially policy as code for mm -hmm. lack of movement, for credential access, for execution, for so for all of that. You want uh, not just policies which are applicable to your operation, also based on what infrastructure software you're using. Like for example, mm -hmm. 
big policies, right? You want to come up with policies which can easily be implemented as opposed to requiring huge, huge lines of, you know, what are the policies you need to, uh, to employ to get MITRE um, compliance, this compliance, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so we said, you know, we really want to uh, work on that. The more value we, uh, we add in getting customers to, first is observability, right? You know, uh, we were quite amazed at how little was available, right? In a very right. clear, in a very, very succinct way at multiple levels of abstraction, right? So mm -hmm. while security was the core, obviously that's our sort of uh, bailiwick, if you will, but it became very clear that, you know, we had to provide observability at some level of detail, even before mm -hmm. already for security. So, so that was, and once you observe, then you can come up with policies some policies which are you recommend in terms of higher level of abstract like a pci mm -hmm. sas 70 uh ccpa gdpr as hipaa as the case might be and others are more sort of granular where you let people uh like log 4j as an example right you, you, you see an emerging threat and you want to come up with a policy to mitigate that right so right so so effectively, you're you're providing uh, templates of of YAML, right? That people can reuse to enforce different Correct. kind of use cases, and and you kind of made that that policy template available on, on on GitHub, and and people can just go into hey, okay, I want to reuse this uh, stick, uh, MySQL, or Postgres, Correct. or Python, Correct. or uh, maybe some malware enforcement too. I saw and and Elastic and Golang Correct. and Java and and so you're enforcing different kind of things. It's not just uh, uh, network stuff it could be uh, I, I know you have a spring spring for shell uh yes. mitigation for example to prevent the uh the the running of the uh the java uh, spring for correct. shell uh correct. cv right correct correct and and give people again yaml might be uh people comfortable technically might be very comfortable with yaml you and i right whereas other people <laughs> higher levels of abstraction you know just you know don't yaml is too detailed too granular for me so we want to yeah. give people sort of visibility and enforceability and auditability at multiple levels, right? Which is really why we have the enterprise product Actionauts, right? So whereas mm -hmm. QR is great for pure cloud native practitioners, uh, at a higher level uh, people, you need policy versioning, right? You need policy clustering, you need uh, uh, you know, lots and lots of dashboards, lots and lots of reports. So you need so those kinds of things. The higher uh, what I call creature comforts, right? Which which you need right. at a higher level. You know, if, if you're running a compliance, HIPAA compliance, right? You know, that person really should not worry about you know uh, YAML templates, right? That's at the security right. engineer level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's too too much in the weeds. And and the beauty of these is you know. Um, you know, a lot of people are used to, I guess, signatures and the DoD side with uh, web application firewalls, for example. But those are, are pretty limited, right, in terms of, of what they can do uh, in terms of enforcement, obviously, usually focus on the networking side. But but in this case, right, the beauty there of the, the template is is I've seen some that literally focus on on the file access or so accessing, uh, uh, you know, uh, system calls on the Linux kernel that are that are more. Uh, none related to, to the networking side. And, and so you could prevent uh, pretty much all kind of CVEs, assuming you have the right policy, right? Correct, correct, correct. And if you look at every every aspect of MITRE TTP, it's all about being able to correlate some events in tandem and coming up with sort of a, 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 a security construct on top of it or compliance construct on top of it, right? So, 
And uh, you know what? What I've seen also that was pretty cool was the um, you know you, you have you have one policy for example. I, I'm going to put the link on the on the chat here so people can uh, can check it out. But you have you have a bunch of policies also on the on some CVs that are you know really related to um, uh, in this use case a, a, a CV that's impacting you know the, the Linux command command sudo, um, and so you, you're effectively preventing uh, that uh, privilege ex escalation of uh, of a CV from 2019. Um, and so by, by having uh, kind of these reusable templates, right, people can simply um, keep up with those and, and update them and, and have that already baked in into their, uh, their business. And so they don't have to worry about this stuff. It's already, it's already handled at, at a lower level. And, it, and it's, it's not something that, you know, people always go back to a WAF and, you know, um, what a WAF could do. But, but, but it's, it's way more um, precise and, and granular right. Correct. Than, than a WAF. Correct. Correct. And that's because for people that want to check it out, this is a, just a good example of this uh, here the, the CV that's uh, impacting sudo uh, from 2019. There's hundreds, obviously, that you have there, but I think this one is interesting because it's not a networking, uh, you know, it's not like you're trying to pulse or, or look at the the the, the HTML or the, the post the HTTP uh, post data being sent to the network, uh, looking at you know injections or, or something like that. It's It's literally uh, preventing the the system from uh, uh, running a specific uh, Linux commands, uh, so that's uh, that's the next level enforcement. That uh, I I don't know of anything that will let you do that uh, without it. You know, I, I just uh, I, you could think of hundreds of, of enforcement layers at the at the networking layer, right? Um, and and many companies, you know, from from the F five of the world to the to the service mesh. To the Palo Alto of the world and and the cloud providers even right have a pretty good grasp of of WAFs right but but I don't think um, there is anything that that gives you kind of um, you know configuration as code policy enforcement layers that would be able to be enforced not just on the networking side but also on the on the entire Cisco Linux kernel uh, you know side that that's pretty cool right and, and, and it's a super uh, happy with uh, the feedback we've been getting from large customers, right? You know, large customers who really, they may not be cloud native in the sense of Apple, Google, Facebook, but they really want to be, or they've got divisions which are really getting them towards the Kubernetes platform. And they all want to uh, not only develop, consume these policies, they want to develop new policies and contribute back, right? So the the, 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 the power of the open source community has been spectacular, even even more than my wildest dreams, if you will. Yeah, so that, that's going to lead me to, okay, you, you created all this good stuff. There was a lot of contributions to CNCF open source, and obviously a lot of companies struggling to monetize and, and make, it a, make it a business. Often they end up creating uh, a lot of, 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 you know, custom IP and, and and, and so how do you, why initially did you think, hey, okay, we, we should really go and, and create Equinox and make it a, make it a business? That's a, that's a great, great question. Uh, it's something, Nick, as you can imagine, <laughs> we get this question, not just from you, but also our investors, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that's a good uh, question for an investor, know that. <laughs> yeah, because they've seen way too many sort of open source projects, which focus on goodness and grace and just, you know, nice thing. We're very, but it's hard to make a commercial business out of it. That's where, from very very early on, we were very very clear, right? We want to give enough 
value to the community over and beyond what we consume. But at the end of the day, be very clear from a sort of a top-down CIO, CISO down, right? Which means that everything which they have to run an operation in production, right? Which means uh, discovery, policy templates, clustering, anomaly detection, reports, dashboards, you know, uh, SaaS operation, right? Uh, support for multi-cloud, support for hybrid cloud, support for uh, not just Kubernetes. And we, we in our own cloud native world, we think the world starts and ends with Kubernetes, but you'd be amazed at... Uh, very different flavors of virtual machines and bare metals, which uh, the organizations are dealing with, right? How do you deal with that? So we, we really have to provide enough value for the all that stuff. Yeah. So Make if, it if work. You're pure cloud native, right? Then mm -hmm. you'll be, and if you if you got enough smarts and techies to deal with the with YAML and all that, then you'll be fine with our Cube Armor open source project. And you should be. You should be. Again, the, the goal is not to give you sort of. Uh, the goal is not to get you uh, have baked yeah. locked in, and then, exactly. then you have to play so the, the goal is hey, you're super. You know, the, the example which I use, which is I don't know if it's applicable or not, is like if you are, if you are a tinkerer, if you are an auto techie tinkerer, right? You're perfectly fine with taking a bank of batteries from Tesla and a bunch of DC induction motors, and you say, hey, <laughs> I can build a car. Great. Go I can it. do that. I, I promise. So I know, you like, well, whereas we, we, we need a full, full fledged Tesla with, with all the creature comfort, right? Which is fine. So we want to certainly make a commercial business out of that customer segment. But yeah, you're streamlining time. and making it easy to consume. Exactly. Exactly. But but you'd be amazed that we have one large telco customer. And we're still doing a you know a POC with them, and they want to consume only our open source project, but they're saying, hey, you know, this is for their managed IoT business. They're saying that, and they want to add a security kernel on top of that. And they're saying, mm -hmm. hey, I'm liable for 24 seven support to my customers. Their customers are large 1800 grocery stores where they manage all the IoT devices, airports right, where they manage all the IoT devices. They say, hey, we have a 24 seven SLA with our clients. And obviously, we don't want to go out on the limb with a pure open source project. So we want full support behind it. You'd be amazed that they just don't want close IP. They don't want close IP, but they want the support. Exactly, exactly. Because you know, uh, as I'm sure you know, kind of freemium is not freemium, right? You know, so so really, you, 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 you want the power of the community, the power of the community yeah. where you got the cloud natives and the large sort of uh, Washington D.C., New York. Uh, based uh, large enterprises contributing to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is the why. So now let's look into a little bit of, of uh, you know, the, the 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 value behind it, right? We talked about all these this tech stuff, right? Uh, most people understand, okay, you're gonna you're gonna add layers of security to prevent malicious actors from from doing different things and, and mitigate both the the blast radius but also the uh, the ability to laterally move across across the network, and it, it goes back, of course, to, to zero trust and that enforcement. But but how important for for do you, when you talk to companies and CIOs and CISOs, right? How important is is that 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 runtime security and zero trust enforcement for that successful cyber posture compared to just like pipe? You know, most people are focused on CI/CD pipeline, you know, one time or like you know pipeline um, security uh, checkpoints. But this is way more powerful in runtime. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. 
That's a great question, uh, Nick, because uh, clearly, you know, two things, right? I don't think people even understood or even appreciated, uh, leave alone even know that runtime was an issue till mm -hmm. solar winds hit. Right. That's hit. a perfect example of saying, hey, you know, you couldn't have detected this during the pipeline check. Exactly. exactly. It, it's all your typical cloud posture management, typical static container scanning. Sign bits from the vendor. You get the bits. You don't know how malicious it is. Exactly. So you have to take it, that risk. It's a good old problem of uh, antivirus, right? Antivirus has worked extremely well till they start working. Right? When right. the attacks became sophisticated, when it became multi-stage attacks. So similar mm -hmm. to that, right? Does everybody need it? No. But somebody who's security conscious, somebody who's gone well past their static uh, defenses, right? Yeah. Do you need posture management? Yes. Do you need uh, vulnerability management, container scanning? Yes. You need that, right? But yeah. once you're done it's with that, enough. exactly, exactly. That's actually how we prevent, um, you know, lateral movement in, in the DoD, right? Um, we we came to the conclusion after solar winds and many other events that that effectively you cannot detect malicious code in nature. You know, most of the scanners are, are detecting bad code, but not malicious code. So that's how we uh, we enforce it through through runtime security, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, is that the first thing you do? No. But it's very quickly is immediately after the first thing you do. There's the second thing you do, right? It's the second, yeah. I, I, it's it's interesting, right? Because um, obviously the, the static analysis stuff and all the you know the, the scanning, the basic scanning stuff is is pretty common now. Uh, but at the same time, the, the volume of false positives and the, the volume of, of of issue you see coming, particularly when you you have bits coming both from open source and from commercial vendors, you know, um, it, it's you don't know what to do, right? Because okay, you, you're gonna you're gonna scan some software like Atlassian, you're going to find 1400 CVEs on Jira. What are you going to do? You know, uh, yes. well, you know, that's where you put it behind zero trust and, and you have that runtime piece and right. You could not, you could not not do it. I mean, I, I would argue, okay, that's probably the second thing you do in terms of maturity, but, but I, I, I would argue you're not secure until you do it. Correct. Correct. And zero trust is very easy to talk about. It is very fashionable in cocktail parties, right? Yeah. But if you apply zero trust in a brute force way, you're going to block everything, right? So you need yeah. you need an intelligent way. To yeah, it, it, it has it. to be something that doesn't, right? because it's very easy to be secure if you destroy velocity and, and speed exactly. and, and exactly. everything. So, right? so what we really provide you is that fine balance, right? Between, yes, you need zero trust, but how do you make it simple? How do you whitelist policies? You discover policies. How do you know what is good and what is bad and what is sort of in between, right? Because it's not as much a black and white as you see. So we give you several sort of fine-grained controls, right? right? You can put policies in audit mode, right? Typically in development, you want to put an audit mode. Then right. you say what's going on, and then you can put an enforcement mode, right? So yeah, right. First you 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 let it learn and then you you enforce exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you're running sort of a you know very stalinist operation, you cannot just be brute force about it, right? You've got to be a lot right. more business savvy. That's and... why people always had a great question for me for all this kind of um, situation where where you're learning and you may be learning the bad behavior, right? People Correct. Say, well, what, what if you what if you're teaching the system on the on the already vulnerable, you know, solar winds stack? Yes. And that's just something that they exactly. do not match to look exactly. good there, right? <laughs> it's just, you know, what are you gonna do? But but yeah. the beauty also with zero trust is you have to uh whitelist the egress of data, right? To leave the, the yes. cluster. And so 
so that you would need to to say, yeah, I'm okay, you know, exfilling you know, all that data. And and some people did it because they thought, you know, SolarWinds was sending updates back to to their uh, server when it wasn't going to their server, it was going to a command and control system. But, um, you know, it, that's why it's so important to also know like ingress, egress, and most companies should be mandated to provide kind of all, all, all of the uh, ingress, egress, and point and protocol traffic coming in and right. out of, of their SaaS or, or their uh, cost products. It's, it's kind of mind boggling that, uh, you know, I help a lot of companies uh, get accredited in DoD and, and I ask them, okay, Show me the architecture of your your stack and where it's running. What kind of APIs you're using? Third-party services, SaaS, and other things. And and most of them don't have the list. They don't even know what they consume, you know. And they don't know right. where the data is flowing and how it's flowing and what what kind of protocol it's using and is it encrypted or not? And and who are they talking to? And oh, I'm using this SaaS service from Mukta. Well, you know, they were breached for four months and they didn't tell their customer for four months. Uh, but oh, it's okay because it was only 2.5 percent of the customer. Well. If you're in the two point five percent, you would care, right? So it's it's hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent, right? It's just it's, yeah. it's just interesting how you know, uh, uh, you know, when you pick a, a SaaS service, right? You, a lot of people start to say, well, you know, that's not my problem anymore, right? I'm 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 giving that you know that capability to a to a third party, but it's still your data is still you know the the, the I mean, particularly if you if you um, you know outsource identity management, which which is something I would. I would never do on the on the on the multi-tenant SaaS service because I right. think it's it's just too big of a crown jewel to to let it be hosted uh, outside of my clusters. But you know, if when you think about you know a few key things like that, right? I mean, I, I'm okay, you know, using Twilio to send text, right? But but I'm yes. probably not okay uh, outsourcing, uh, you know, ICAM and 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 maybe probably not my policy enforcement point for zero trust, you know. So so when you describe you know to your customers because you know. When I start, when we started, you know, and I pushed Zero Trust six years ago, you know, with Google and, and DHS, and and I, we pushed, you know, software-defined parameter and all these this concept, and you know, now it's, you know, back then everybody was fighting me, telling me I was crazy to move away from the the parameter model, and now everyone is is only in love with it, right? But um, when you look back and you look at, at Zero Trust and you go explain to people now, because if you look at every website uh, in to any cyber companies on the planet. They tell you that they are, you know, they are implementing zero trust, and it's it's a magical, you know, silver yes. bullet. How do you how do you even define uh, zero trust to your client? What what when you if you have to describe it to to you to, to my dead grandma? Well, how would you describe zero trust? No, no, I think zero trust is a lot simpler than you know people make it. Obviously, John Kinderbank. I mean, well, we should realize the zero trust as a concept is right. not a new concept, right? It's go back yeah. to 30 years, right? If you go by the Multics project, right? Right. Multics project, if my memory serves me right, is the first time which talked about least privilege, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is all a continuation from the least privilege, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So I, I think John Kinderbag deserves a lot of credit for coming up with a crystal, you know, it's like, you know, like yeah, crystal eight, clear. Yeah, yeah. eight sets of weight loss. People buy the book, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he did a great That's job it. of one coming up with a good, you know, least privilege is sort of interesting, but I don't think it's a catchy marketing term, right? Zero trust is a great marketing <laughs> term. So marketing you, matters, you, right? Yeah. You got to give kids a little When he, Once it's simplified, we said, you know what? You know, deny all. Assume that you have been breached or you will be breached. So, by definition, right. deny all. then the deny all is the easy part, right? Uh, right. 
then comes what do you what are you going to allow right and right. what are you going to allow and based on what based on based on what or observation of what's going on and then that's a great place to start but still kind of uh, trust but verify right how do you do right ongoing kind as, as you know the great uh, that's always what's confusing to my dead grandma right uh there is some level of trust because you know we, we say it's your trust but that's not exactly true right no, because no, something you, 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 you have to trust right? something something right and, and uh, how you trust and how you trust and usually it's it's a runtime uh, uh basis you know the way we did it in DoD, right we we, we checked the, the device state to see if it's patched and the kind of uh operating system and settings and you know whether or not you have a some type of endpoint protection system or, or, or MDM running on mobile or whatever, right? So we check the device state, then we compare with the device with the identity risk and and the what the user is supposed to have access to, based on on, on labels and roles, right? And then and then you can tie back to the device risk, and then based on the component risk, you whitelist access to resources. So if I'm using I'm using a government device, or if Correct. I use my personal mobile device, I don't I don't get the same level of trust. So this Correct. is not just uh, stuck stuck in time. Trust, okay. right? This is this is runtime trust, right? Correct. Runtime trust, and obviously you have uh, the software supply chain projects, uh, software bill of materials. They are on the one hand, uh, you know, coming up uh, well, and you got yep. the CPU vendors, Google, the Enclave Computing, the trusted, uh, right. you, know, you know, so so the number of things are coming together quite well. So we try to leverage all of these to make sure that we apply zero trust not in a kind of brute force moronic way but you know in a very right. very you know very practical business way you know? but but the beauty is that you end up touching all the layers right because that's right. kind of the issue with many of these products right they say they're doing zero trust because they solve you know uh, a tenth of a percent or maybe a tenth of 100 maybe 10 percent of of the the equation correct uh, because they, they focus on one piece of the puzzle but but you don't get to zero trust Particularly, you can get to zero trust if you have dozens of policy enforcement points that Correct. you have to federate and, and connect Which somehow. Which is what most organizations are dealing with, right? Most mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So, so you did. You had to worry about all this stuff, right? So, where, okay. where, what you, where are you? I guess in your journey uh, great, with the product. Great question. Great question. Massive lift, right? So, so as a company, we're a fairly, you know young company we are about uh, 18 maybe 20 months old we're going to be we're working with some two or three classes of companies we're working with some amazing uh kind of unicorns you know the, as you can imagine yep. some of the unicorns are not unicorns anymore but they're still <laughs> very <laughs> nice the good cloud native which means they don't have the yep. legacy of large corporations mm -hmm. uh you can talk uh, YAML to them. So that, that's one class of customers. Second is large enterprises who are kind of legacy companies, but they really want, they think that they want to be as cloud native as a Google or Facebook and Apple as the case might be. So these are, you know, like I, I've been amazed at the kind of talent they've been able to attract and retain to get towards, you know, Kubernetes uh, platforms, right? So that's the second mm -hmm. one. Third is, and we also need a sort of the MSSP, telco carrier sort of abstraction who are looking at problems, not just as one, but multiple instances where they're delivering this as a service to their customers, right? So that gives you the multi-tenancy and some of the very, you know, the higher level of uh, sort of uh, design and abstraction. So we're working about right. three or four of these in each one of these. And the good news is that we're getting 
feedback from them almost as a part of our monthly release. And we hope to launch a product by end of the year this year. I'm talking about a commercial product, which is yeah. which will be version one, which will be licensable, and we'll start sort of monetizing all the hard work we put into it. So the feedback has been fantastic. And I've been amazed at uh, one is the product feedback about, hey, you, you give me all these policies. How do you cluster these policies in the logical groups? Or things such as this is fantastic, this is great. But you know what? The installation, it takes me three steps to install it. Can you make it a single command line? Right. So everything from sort of uh, yeah. the ease of consumption. One and day two process. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that's, that's kind of, you know, that shows kind of your devotion to, to quality, right? Because I've been telling you for, for months maybe that, that yes. it's good enough to, to start selling it. But but you wanna you wanna raise the bar to, to really make it as good as it yeah, can be. And it's, yeah, it's, because, you know, it's good. good news. again, good news, bad news, right? The good news is that we have the luxury, we got some amazing investors, right? And say and the second thing is that once you start monetizing, right? Uh, you, you can go uh, back. So that's exactly why was yeah, and I appreciate that you don't want to sell them like uh, you know uh, uh, snowflakes, you know. So so that, that yeah, 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 yeah. We've seen this movie before, right? You, you send some good enough software, and then you send a whole bunch of expensive SEs and solution engineers to go fix it on the thing. It's not backward compatible. Then you forklift upgrade. That's all, all the things. So we said it's okay to take a little bit more again obviously with once you're vc investors when you're a commercial enterprise you don't have infinite time we don't have we don't have the no depth. you don't want to take 20 oh, years yeah yeah but yep. the, the good news is we're around the corner every month we're getting feedback and we and we're going to be launching a product we could theoretically launch a product in the next say three months so uh, so does that mean like like right now if if, if one of the companies watching the show uh you know want to Try to to do a, a POC with your product. They they can do it for free. Go yeah. Go to Cube Armor. Go to Cube Armor. You have uh, uh, join a Slack group, right? If you need any help, obviously you know as we often like to say, no salesman will call you. But if you need help, just, just come. We'll help you out. You go to uh, help.icanuts.com. This is a commercial edition you'll get a full sense of what is going on. There's other amazing, exciting product. I don't even know if I told you, Nick, is uh, uh, Data Sage, which, which is our open mm. source data security product, data security, yep. data governance. We've been working with a couple of amazing companies. And in fact, large Wall Street firms want to contribute to it. So that's coming down the pike. So we've got some, uh, you know, Cube Armor, you're up and running. It's great community support. We'd love for you to consume. Love your feedback. If you can do even better, if you can contribute, great. Music to our ears, right? Mm -hmm. If you need uh, high touch, hand holding support, if you want to sleep well at night, if you want 24 7 support, we're fully there for you, right? So that's certainly available. Yeah. Uh, Akinox gives you all the. I mean, I don't know what, what organization would not want support, you know particularly if they're large enough. I mean, you know, I'm talking yeah. to so many telcos, uh, you know, many telcos people may not know, but are completely moving their backbone to Kubernetes and at the edge yeah. and, and kind of decoupling and do, doing this multi-tenancy nightmare. And, and there's a lot of issues with multi-tenancy on, on Kubernetes. And so I think uh, that's a perfect example of, of where you need that baked in security. And and I, I wouldn't see a, a telco, you know, say, oh, we're going to, we're going to get a bunch of open source bits and, 
and and we don't have a way to 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 you know contribute back upstream and if there's if there's a zero day we're, we're gonna have to wait for someone to to fix it you know it's just uh we're not gonna stick correct but but at least we've done a great job as an industry i think we've done a great job and a lot of the credit goes to you nick from what you've done at air force is the fact that previously it was all commercial first value later right today it's all about mm -hmm. value first commercial later which means that right it out, see if you like it you don't have to Spend yeah, and the down. beauty is, you know, I'm I'm so pissed when I see, you know, I, I have so many companies reach out to me and be like, hey, you know, we have this this open source project, and I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, you, you can do single sign on, you can do all these, you know, enterprise expected features, uh, in the free open source pod project, you need to pay, you know, you need to pay that that fancy license to get really what what I would call, you know, expected features in 2022 Correct. for any organization of of you know, more than 10 employees, right? So, so it's yeah. really kind of a scam, right? It's really, it's really a cot wrapped into a, a FOSS software. They, yes. they actually gave it a name. Uh, I think it's uh, COS, Commercial Open Source Software. With, uh, so, so that's, that's C-O-S-S. -S. Okay. Um, and it's kind of this, this merger between commercial and open source. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's just a cut, you know, at that point, if you, you know, if you need a license, I'm pretty sure that's just, just call it a cut, you know, because, because, uh, you know, it's kind of misleading, right? Because you can't use it without Correct. a license. And so, Correct. you know, it, it's just too easy to, to say, oh, we're special. We're not, you know, the only difference is 90% of the work is open source. Okay. Well, there's still 10% that's IP and, and, you know, commercial license. And that's that's enough to get you locked in, and it's enough to be a product, you know. And, and and it's you know when you buy a commercial tool, obviously they already use a ton of open source. You don't ask them, you know, how much open source you have in your code, right? I mean, who cares? But you know, yeah. there's a lot of glue code, a lot of open source code, right? That's kind of what most companies do nowadays, right? They put a Correct. bunch of open source products together to create some magical glue code, you know, thing, right? So that's that's fine, but don't don't call it, don't mislead people, right? Calling yes. it a you know, a cost, you know, that, that's yes. just, anyway. So let's look at, you know, uh, you know, why for you, right? Um, I mean, you could have done all of this stuff close, it's closed source, right? You didn't have to, to do a lot of that contribution back to open source and CNCF. And why was it so important for you, right? To do that? Yeah. So the, the usual reasons are obvious, right? The usual reasons are one, uh, as you know, you started in uh, at Air Force, right? You know, customers are going away from, hey, I need you need to talk to a salesperson, you need to talk to an SE, you need to do a demo, you need to do this thing, mm -hmm. sign an NDA, sign a contract before. I do. So <laughs> that you know, so that people are sign going an NDA before I send you the PowerPoint. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So 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 this is how, I that last week. I was, I didn't see it for for at least two three years. But I had someone that literally asked me to sign an NDA before sending me a PowerPoint. Yeah, <laughs> so like, oh, wow. <laughs> are you yeah, still in the nineteen eighties, right? Twenty twenty two. You know, but, the world has gone from hey value first, right, and then price mm -hmm. later. So value is let's you know price is typically a percentage of the value, right? So let's. Right. And value is not what you tell me, which is the world, right. you know, proprietary vendors. It's, it's what I think is a value, right? Which means right. that the best way for me to see the value, taste the value is open source. So that's one, right? So yeah. second is a little bit of uh, kind of California, a little bit uh, sort of uh, 
uh, a little bit uh, token hippie in a few of us. It's, it's all about it. <laughs> you know, all of us consume so much Linux, right? We consume MySQL. Yep. We consume all of this, right? And we have to give yep. something back. It's just good karma, right? That's, that's right. right. Good karma. And, yeah. And the third, which uh, again, we sort of intuitively knew it, but we really didn't uh, see uh, experience it until we actually saw it. You also get a very different caliber of technical person. You know what I mean? From a pure oh, DNA. To, to, to attract talent, you mean? Yeah, from attract talent. There's That's a, a very interesting thing because I, I've been telling, you know, the defense neutral base probably listening to us right now, right? The the locate and Oathrop of the world were not always the best at software that if they were more open to doing more open source, they would be able to attract uh, better talent because people want to contribute more to open source projects. So, so you're saying that effectively uh, yes. but by getting involved with open source uh, work, you, you are able to, to get better talent higher in the company. Absolutely. I, I would go without saying this is worldwide, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and obviously, DOD might be interested only in only the U.S. talent, but, yeah, but that's fine. Across, the, across the board, right? What started out as the GNU project at MIT or the BSD project at Berkeley, right? We all knew they were very successful projects which attracted the best and the brightest, right? But that is becoming not just a national phenomenon, but a worldwide phenomenon, right? Mm. And so to me, that's that's great, but we always say as commercial people, how does that translate into value for the customer, right? Value right. for the customer is you got an enormous amount of mind share, right? You, you, you got yep. brilliant people thinking about it, contributing to it, a single bug uh, in our install document, right? Gets flagged within less than a day, you know what I mean? Right, it's, it's more transparency, more, more, yeah, more eyes, right? Yeah. So, so the, yeah. The, I think the customer is getting a better product, right? It's so it's interesting, right? Because usually the first one that people mention is is kind of the the community contribution of of other companies, yeah. you know, jumping into the project. You didn't mention it. Was it was it something you thought about, or is it not? No, something but, but, but that's also you know very very important. Uh, obviously, other people contributing. As I said, this large company. You're not paying, and that's the beauty, right? It's free. You're not, you're not paying for all these uh, developers to, to come and improve the, the project, yes. right? And uh, again, at the end of the day, as uh, sort of business professionals, uh, the benefit is uh, customers discovering, right? You don't have to have expensive salespeople wearing Rolex. Not into fancy marketing and ads. And... Marketing. So, 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 and all that translates into better commercials for the customer, right? We don't have to charge a million dollars for every whatever right so you're so not going to ask an nda to get the 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 the, yeah. the powerpoint deck that's for sure yeah and the other thing which i've seen uh, again it's been a revelation for me is that large companies i'm talking about fortune 50 companies right mm -hmm. they almost have a fast track for open source projects right yeah if so you, you have see the adoption like even even yeah. even larger companies and not yeah. just the Google, right? But but even exactly, like outside exactly. of the IT. I'm talking about old East Coast establishment companies. They, they used to hate it. I guess that 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 shifted, right? That shifted because they, they used saw... to be like, oh, that's 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 not good. You can't use open source, right? But now yes. now that's it. Yeah, and large companies are falling behind it, right? You saw IBM, which bought Stackrocks and said it's all open source, right? Mm -hmm. So you saw suze which bought new vector and said it's open source right which means that yeah, i think uh, large, exactly, large companies are realizing producers like us vendors like us are realizing that it is redeeming value there and con consumers also seeing that it's a far easier consumption model it's far more frictionless right that's really where we want to go right we want to make 
the customer experience as frictionless as possible, right? So, so yeah, and, yeah. and overall that translates into the, the more friction you have, right? You got to charge a higher price. This is you remember the good old days when we all of us paid nineteen ninety nine to buy you know ten shares of IBM, right? <laughs> then, yeah. it frictionless, then it became cheaper, right? So we were frictionless. Right. So we buy, the, the, the economists will tell you that's sort of non value added uh, sort of transaction cost, right? And that you can you know both buyer and seller can partake. <laughs> Yeah, at the same time, right, a lot of, of companies struggled to commercialize open. So you've seen Docker, right? That kind of completely changed the world with the, the continuization technology. And I would Correct. argue is the perfect example of failing to commercialize, uh, you know, products just by raising way too much money and, and not finding the right approach to 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 make Correct. money. And, and so so how do you think about um, kind of that commercialization when you're thinking of, of cost? Right, there's different models, right? In in in, uh, in these tools, it could be a, a per CPU, per node, per user, per whatever, right? Uh, that that that's often scary to some people because they feel like well, the more I use it, the more I pay, and it's it's kind of scary. But but it's kind of also a fair way to think about cost. How do you think about um, commercialization great, of the product? Great, uh, you know, this uh, I'll tell you a very interesting anecdote. Uh, Martin Mikos, who was the CEO of MySQL, at, mm -hmm. many, many, 15 years ago, told me very interesting. The enterprise is comprised of two kinds of people people with money and no time. That's the CIO, CISO. And mm -hmm. people with time and no money. <laughs> That's your. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Open source contributors, right? So the people with. Time and no money focus on technical value, right? They're the open source mm -hmm. companies. People with money and no time, they're the commercial users, right? Which means that one focus on technical value, the other focus on business value, right? And as long as you have a reasonable way to depict or demonstrate to uh, demonstrate business value, you have a commercial value proposition. If you just right. stay at the pure bits and bytes, technical level, cuteness, and this thing, right? Then it might be hard as Docker found out, right? Right, right. Even there again, right? MySQL was able to come up with a modestly successful commercial model, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But you, do you think, do you think, um, what would be a good example, I guess, of a, of a company that's able to uh, to commercialize open source? I mean, it's, most people would mention Red Hat, but I would argue sometimes it's not really, I mean, it, it, it's kind no, of no, a no, weird no, open source. No, no, Elastic is a great example, Snake. Mm -hmm. Example, JFrog. Although okay. Elastic just changed the license to the Elastic license. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not sure that works anymore. <laughs> but Snake yeah. yeah. is a good one, yeah. And, and uh, you know, these, you know, like you said, StackRox was closed source, and now you know, Red Hat open sourced it. Um, and uh, HashiCorp is another good example, right? HashiCorp. Yeah. So those are good examples. I think the good news is that people ten years ago had to invent models. Today, there's fairly good models. So we. As long as you don't do kind of Byzantine and strange things, I think you'll be fine. But do you think that the the li the lifespan of 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 company that are around a, a single open source project are bound to be short because because the project is going to be replaced by something else, and so they have to move on to to another project? Or how does this work for uh, company? Definitely, definitely. I I think we have to sort of expand, broaden. The good news so, is or that either reinvent yourself or expand Absolutely. or. Absolutely. The good news for us is that you know we we have born Kubernetes. We shifted a little bit left when we went to enterprises to support virtual machines and more legacy workloads or brownfield workloads. We started on greenfield, 
And luckily mm -hmm. for us, sometimes you're smart, sometimes you get lucky. Kubernetes mm -hmm. going to the edge. The, it's, it's becoming very natural, you know. Uh, so the IoT edge is becoming, Kubernetes going to 5G is becoming very common. So so good news is that we're getting really good sort of momentum. Broader, yeah, more. broader engagements. So, so it's becoming more durable than... than so we're no longer a one-trick pony, if you will, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You're you, also have a, you also have a ton of competition, right? I mean, not, not on this specifically, but but as you know, there's a bunch of open source new CNCF project coming out every week. Correct. How do we how do we keep up? How do we how do we know which one is going to stick? I mean, that's where the 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 the, the power of free markets, right? Free markets. Yeah. It's all about hey, you know, made up, made up. I don't mean the very negative, you know, Darwinian. No, no, but that's negative most people wouldn't say it negative. No, <laughs> no, made the best man win, right? Because rather than yeah, you know, so, so, so. whatever sticks. But but as as a, as a, let's say you're you're on the customer side for a second, right? And you're a CEO, or whatever. How do you know which one to pay attention to? Do you weigh like uh, you know, do, do you care about the incubation, you know, CNCF status yeah. versus you know? You look at that stuff, or you don't care, or what? What, what do you yeah, care? Clearly, about? clearly, you know. Obviously, if you graduated, then you've earned your stripes to be a right royal, royal player. Uh, you know, have mm -hmm. a seat at the table, right? If you're incubation, there might be early stage innovation. Then you look at stars, the contributors. You look at the number of downloads. You look at other other key metrics. The moment. Do you care if if a product is only maintained by by a single company and there is no other? I always, I always like to see like big, big CNCF projects managed by more than just like a red hat. Or you know, my my key was often like for some of the key projects was to say, okay, I need to see at least two of the key players. And I, I would say, you know, a, a Google, a, a VMware, a Red Hat, you know, uh, a Rancher, uh, a D2IQ. You know, one of yeah. these guys, right, has to be uh, Amazon, Azure, you know, Azure, whatever, right. But but one of those has to be at least one. And, and if you have two, I think it's a winner. Correct. No, I agree. I agree. It really comes from the, the, the power of the, of the community. And the good news is that not just this, but large financial companies, large telcos, they're becoming uh, very eager contributors, right? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a massive market. Most people don't realize how big it's, it's going to be for, for the cloud native market. They, yes. they think of them still as, as kind of legacy players, but they, they are completely reinventing everything and and with the move to 5g and whatever is going to come next it's going to be uh it's going to be huge so um in fact that's my next question to you <laughs> how do you how do you see all this play in that kind of edge universe clearly we've got uh, sort of a 12-month roadmap the 24 and 36 right the 12-month roadmap is clearly for us here and now cloud yep. kubernetes supporting obviously the legacy workloads like virtual machines, and we'll be adding a few more modules. Right, a few people have said, "Hey, this is great. You give me runtime, but also, can you give me a snapshot of the cloud posture management? Can you mm. give me a quick sort of vulnerability scan uh, dashboards?" Right. So we'll be adding mm. some of those things. Uh, so to make it in the closer, actually, you've heard the CNAP as a, is emerging as a category. So you'll see us more towards uh, zero trust CNAP, you know, next gen CNAP, if you will. Right. So, the, yeah, so that's yeah way we're going but obviously that's a 12 18 month roadmap the next phase of growth will come from iot edge and we, we see very vibrant we're seeing the the the, the intel the vmware the arm the microsoft oh. ibm open horizon right you know so, so really putting a lot of muscle again it's not 
uh, it might or might not be revenues here and now, but very, very topical. These are very engaging discussions. These are not science experiments, right? Science experiments yeah. is about, as commercial company, we have to stay away from, right? So yeah, at, the same yeah, yeah. Time, at the same time, 5G, right? People think 5G is sort of a pie in the sky, but the private 5G is very real, right? Private 5G oh, yeah. is, is for campuses, campus networks, for the things mm -hmm. very real. We believe that uh, security is a long pole in the tent, and uh, we are very, very comfortable because that really you want the same level of zero trust, right? Because uh, right. so, so we think it's a very, uh, very durable value proposition we can bring there also. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, there's definitely a ton of niche markets, right? Um, I know some companies focused on the the smaller footprint devices, like in space and stuff, right? Uh, and and there's you know obviously not non-traditional cpu challenges there and, and you know many many companies now start to support on the open source side and cncf support non-intel x86 uh chips and that, that's becoming kind of uh a thing so so i you know this is this is growing growing faster than i thought i've seen even companies now on the automotive side and you know um really start to um, to move to kubernetes and and have the, yes. the entire a call move to to that construct so that's interesting i mean also data right who would have thought kubernetes started us to deal with uh ephemeral workloads right mm -hmm. uh, and uh, i don't know if you have been tracking nick the doc project data on kubernetes mm -hmm. right yeah it's getting amazing this is data on kubernetes for persistent workloads right you know? yeah who would have thought? I was, I was the first one to push that concept. People thought I was wow. crazy. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. something. Okay. I, so, you know, I, we want, because we wanted the same cyber enforcement stack, and I didn't want to have a bunch of data things of my Chrome jewel on, on the other side of the house and, and having, having everything with the same enforcement and the same visibility and the same, correct. you know, correct. kind of constructs of orchestration and IEC and GitOps was so important to me that. And even if I were to lose a little bit of performance or whatever, which is not the case, but even if I was, I would still want it to be orchestrated with the same vigor and the same tech stack. So that's kind of why I pushed it. You yeah. know, and people kept saying it's not possible. And I, I helped, you know, all these companies, the Mongo, the, the Elastic of the world, you know, create their Kubernetes uh, Kubernetes operators and, and nice. of course now, you know, with Doc and, and it's kind of becoming its own, you know, almost like a, you know, market, right? Exactly, so, exactly. So the, the good news is that Kubernetes, uh, partly because it's a very well thought out design from Google, uh, mm -hmm. and partly because uh, they've done a great job of uh, building a huge community and adoption, and not just that, education, certification, CKA, CKAD, and a broad sort of mega industry around it. Uh, so all that's helping uh, the, 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 the Kubernetes becoming a very sort of very vibrant first class citizen of the enterprise and the edge and data and 5G. And we're solving the last mile problem, which is a security problem, right? And I think that's giving us a very durable. And that coupled with greater awareness of zero trust, which means you've got to bring the visibility layer, observability layer, the policy management layer, enforceability layer. And as most people have known by now, that getting to zero trust is just the first challenge. 
staying at zero trust is even harder, right? So right. this is not like a, it's like the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge. Painting it once, Golden Gate Bridge is hard enough, right? But you got to keep on. Yeah, that's moving. why I was I was kind of disappointed when I heard you know the duty CIO say that the the desire of the department is to get to zero trust by twenty twenty nine, which which is like I told them like. By that is probably going to be something else. You know? exactly. so that probably doesn't, doesn't work. You know, and, and, minus you know, minus one should be leading. You know, but that's <laughs> you know that's just too bad that you know you would expect you know something like the duty with the funding you know seven hundred whatever we got this year actually I think it was plussed up by Congress uh, for twenty twenty three or four. Uh, so I think it's going to be like seven hundred and seventy three billion or something like that. Um, and so. You would expect that when you have that kind of money, yeah, it, it was actually the 2024 was 813 billion. So we we passed to the eight, <laughs> right? 813 billion uh, a year of taxpayer money. Uh, you would think you know uh, zero trust would be something that could be achieved, uh, you know, within a year or something. But 2027, 2028, 2029, that's kind of, uh, and we should have started five years ago, you know. But um, so so you know, I got a lot of questions from people. Uh, watching the show on Twitter and, and stuff. And, and they, they, they all kind of were asking about kind of the, what you see. And I guess many of these people probably are running companies or running stuff too, but what do you see now with the current market? What, what, you know, what about fundraising? What about, you know, launching new products? Do you find that the current market to be, are you, are you worried about kind of where the, the United States is going maybe in a, in a recession or, by the very least, you know, people will be thinking twice before spending more money. That, that, those are great questions. Obviously, there are people who are paid way more than me worrying about it and opining about <laughs> it on Bloomberg TV. Yeah, and all entrepre that. Entrepreneurs feel it, right? That's Yeah, uh, that's so, but, but luckily, I mean, these are things which, uh, you know, you don't want to be caught in a hurricane or a snowstorm and you're least expected. Luckily for us, we are so early in our journey, right? Our valuation right. is all you know, uh, convertible. So you don't see this impacting, for, first of all, like your, your product launch, but what about, you know, if you are doing a, a round of funding right now, I, I was, you know, all week with a bunch of VCs on the phone and they're literally calling me begging for deals. But at the same time, they also say, you know, we had deals that were lined up in December and January and February that we had to not close because the valuation is now, not aligned with the market, which tells yep. you like that's a pretty big. And it's it. They told me it was not just twenty percent, but sometimes up to forty percent. Correct. Uh, lower in what four, six months? Yeah, like, I, I would clearly. Uh, if you talk to a kind of pure kind of free market economist, right? He or she will say yeah. all asset classes are correlated, right? Right. And, if you see the the hit in the public company markets, right? If you see that uh, they haven't gone down by fifty percent, they've probably gone up by twenty five percent. Is a twenty five percent haircut a valid one? Obviously, it, it probably is. That hurts. That yeah. hurts. Yeah, twenty five percent hit. If you look at a Palo Alto, large company, twenty five percent hit in the public markets should translate into maybe 30, 40% hit in the private markets, right? Because private right. markets, you're always projecting into the future, way into the future, right. five, 10 years. Public markets, you're projecting over the next two years, right? So that kind of haircut 
is to be expected because we came from enormous frothy, right? There was a level of irrationality where people were closing rounds. It was rounds. crazy. I mean, the number was really insane. For four months, people were closing rounds, right? You know, that, you know. On the napkin, on the napkin. Yeah, and we come from a world where you take Pre-revenue, 10 million, you know, 10 million pre-revenue with a napkin. Yeah, you, you take money for 18 months, build enough value in 12, 14 months, get your next round, right? That's sort of rationality, right? How can you get 3x valuation in six months, right? That doesn't make sense. There's not enough value. Even if you had the 100 of the best yeah. Google engineers, you cannot create enough value in six months in order to justify yeah. a 3x. So Alex, maybe, maybe if you have if you hundreds of Google engineers, but but that might be the that might be the exception. I, I, don't, I know you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <I got it. laughs> but, but yeah, I get, your, I get your point. It's just a matter of, of timing. It's just physically impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody got caught in this sort of mad rush. The bubble? Right? Is it a bubble? What is it? Is it, is it just because VCs just uh, eat, you know, they, they thrive on each other and there's just uh, are setting this kind of uh, dream? Or what? Are they? No, are they no, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, again, it's always easy to blame the VCs or. Well, they, they 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 give the money, right? So they define evaluation, right? Yeah, but but or silly entrepreneurs, right? But at the end of the day, right? It all no one put a gun to their head to say, "Hey, give me the money," right? Yeah. <laughs> it starts from you know money being cheap on Wall Street, right? It all starts from yeah, there. the that's source true. of money is there, they right? Too, so they have too much money, and then they but then they, I would I would still argue that the VCs are ultimately responsible for for due due diligence and and due care of the the money spending, so. No matter how much money they got, did I mean they had to, to just throw it away and, you know, just see what sticks, right? It's it's. I mean, yeah. I, I get it, was cheap and easy money, but but still, you know, it's just correct, correct. Again, and also they play the portfolio game. The portfolio game is hey, if one in ten turns one in ten, Google, you're fine, right? Then it washes yeah. away a lot of sense. Whereas all the last step. As entrepreneurs, we've got to be, we got a very concentrated portfolio. We can't, we can't have one of 10. That wouldn't be very good for us. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, we would be very happy. Old. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, seasoned entrepreneurs understand that raising money is only the first step in a long journey, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, if you raise 1x, you better be in a position to give 5 to 10x back. Otherwise, you should not, right? So, Right. There's so just... many people that that you know. I told them. I said, you know, would you do it? Uh, would you would you do it with your own money if you had the money, right? Yeah. And like, oh no, that's too much risk. I'm like, so you're asking others to do it. And I yeah. the same people, right? Early stage, pre-revenue, taking massive amount of of salaries as 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 you know the the founders. And I'm like, wow. You so you really have no skin in the game, right? You you just yeah. you're just an employee, right? It's just it's just mind-boggling to me. Correct, correct. And it also creates a lot of ills, right? You buy random Google keywords. You just go to, you throw a big sort of cocktail party at RSA, right? Then you forget, mm -hmm. hey, what am I doing this for, right? You know, yeah. am, I, am I trying to impress my customer? No customer is going to get impressed. Real customer. Going no, to yeah. Them. That's get a free meal, you know what I mean? Customer is going to impress yeah. them a good product, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, bring and bring tangible value, right? Yeah, and you make yourself available in the nice, you know, good, decent hospitality suite at uh, outside of RSA or Black Hat. Right? Those are meaningful ones. But just throwing a wild bash party really doesn't really help anybody, right? That's what happens when you raise money at some ungodly valuation. You hire random people, hire random marketing people. You do things 
which don't add value to the customer. So in that sense, we've learned a lot from yeah. Jeff Bezos at Amazon, Amazon right? He's, we all know, come from a world of being customer centric, but he made that a religion, you know what I mean? So, so, yeah. so very impressive. No? So. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And and so, so if you if you if you were to talk to an entrepreneur tomorrow, would you would you tell him um, it's not the right time to start a business, or would you tell him no, go ahead anyway? This is this is it's a great time to start a business. The good news is that just be nimble and, and don't don't sell out of your yeah yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's still living in Silicon Valley, I'm sure like you're plugged into the tech ecosystem. But your entrepreneurs approach you. Bunch of VCs send you business plans to take a look at. Yeah, some of them are flaky. Some of them could be sort of uh, refined and you know re-imagined, re if you will. But a lot of them are very, very meaningful businesses, right? Yeah. Are they worth ten million dollar, twenty million dollar, hundred million dollar pre-money valuation? That you can. <laughs> that I'm, the good news that the, the new normal, the new sheriff in town, who's sort of <laughs> saying that. that I can tell you the, the the guy that I've worked with a lot, and, and the guy that probably is is kind of the best at at really getting to the real valuation of companies is probably a uh, Mr. Wonderful, you know, from Shaw Tank is, is, uh, you know, Mr. O'Leary is just, uh, yeah. he knows his stuff, you know, he's, you know, people like him or don't like him. I don't care, but, uh, just like me, but, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's, it's at the end of the day, he just knows his stuff and he's, he is pragmatic about it, you know, and it's, he knows, he knows about it. And, and that's the thing too, for entrepreneurs to know, right. Uh, raising a, a seed round at, at a, at a, at a crazy valuation is not good for you. Uh, for your next round, if you don't if you don't meet your targets, and then you're gonna have right. a down round, it's gonna be it's gonna be a disaster. Right? You don't want to do that. And and also you create some psychopathic behavior within yeah. the it's just toxic right? toxic stuff you, to you. You hire your, four VPs to do nothing. The stress. You you hire the stress. Your people. You hire the, the chief kitchen officer. You do these kinds of things. right. You start you start buying a bunch of stuff and you raise too much. It's like you know it's kind of the prime of DoD, right? I always tell people, right? Um, funny enough, the the budget of, of software right is, is sixty billion minimum, right? Uh, space for Salesforce, and then you compare, you know that's that's uh, you know the the French defense budget is fifty billion. With ten billion less than what we spend in software, right? Oh. Uh, but but yeah, but yeah, it's it's just like okay, but but we know we waste a lot of it, you know. So so you have too much, and you just waste too much, you know. It's it kind of create this uh, this wasteful behavior, right? But we have Nat that's back. He told me his laptop crashed. So that that's another good example that even even the biggest. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely sorry. You never have it probably. In the in Yale. <laughs> 12 months happened to me just once with my Mac, right? Uh, it's, it's yeah, that, but that's always me. You know, I'm I, I create bugs. Yeah, I'm no, very no, good no, at it. You no, know, no, I no. always find I always find uh, uh you know uh, CVEs. You know, so so we talk about the challenges. The last thing we wanted to to have you give us is uh, your parting thoughts. You know, wanna uh, every time when we when we do a show, we yes. let the guests kind of uh, share their the final thoughts. So it's over to you for, for that. Thank you very much, uh, Nick. First and foremost, uh, thank you. Uh, thank all the attendees, right? Today, we're all dealing with uh, huge demands on our time. There are multiple demands on our time. So really appreciate you making time. Sincerely appreciate it. Time is the only asset which is very, very hard to replace very easily. So that's thank you. Second is that, uh, you know, the few, if you want to, like most things, you listen to something for an hour, 
90 minutes and you probably forget 99% of what you heard, right? A few parting thoughts I want you to walk away from is uh, zero trust is very real. Uh, zero operationalizing zero trust is a challenge and that's a problem we solve. Uh, Kubernetes is here to stay. Uh, there's a reason Google's cost of computers probably one tenth of anybody else is because I'd say certainly say that Kubernetes and all the operational practices around that which they have mastered is a very very key part of it. Uh, security in Kubernetes is is a non-trivial challenge, but not just us; the whole community is solving it very very well. Uh, third is open source is a very very uh, Again, Nick knows it better than uh, most of us. He pioneered it. Uh, it is it's a great way for you to uh, get value, demonstrate value to your colleagues before you ask for budgets and resources. So we certainly want to make it uh, very, very easy for you to do that. Last but not least, there's a full, fully supported commercial enterprise uh, edition of Zero Trust, Kubernetes, uh, runtime security, full stack CNAP, which we're working on, which we'll make available to you. And last but not least, uh, you know, Kubernetes is just one element in a very exciting technical roadmap. Uh, you, you don't have to be a geek to really appreciate the fact that Kubernetes is going to data, Kubernetes is going to IoT edge, Kubernetes is going to 5G. Really, it's a very exciting journey. So as uh, either a technologies a practitioner, right? It's a great way for you to uh, get comfortable with uh, Kubernetes as a technology, as an orchestration platform, for you to empower your businesses, users with it, and be assured that as a zero trust security vendor, we're fully behind it. Uh, we've got a great product. Go to kubarma.io and try it out. We'd love for you to give us comments, participate, give us feedback, join our Slack channel. If you like it, uh, tell other people about it. If you want to blog about it, that's great. If you want to contribute it, even better. If you want support uh, or beyond, that's even better. So uh, we are here, very excited about it. Would like to thank Nick and the entire uh, attendees for partaking and giving us your precious time. And hopefully it's been worthwhile for you and stay safe, stay healthy. The economy has some challenges as Nick and I discussed, but always, always, as we, any one of us have been through a few of these, the strong come out stronger. So we are fully confident that we as an industry will come out stronger, the strong vendors will come out stronger out of this. So I'm very excited about it. Great to have you, thanks for your time. Well, thank you so much for the last word and thanks everybody for joining. We'll see you next Tuesday in the next episode of In the Nick of Time with the Embedded System team uh, to talk about decoupling hardware and software. It's going to be a very interesting discussion on how they run all this digital uh, transformation and the digital twin uh, emulation to different uh, embedded systems, space systems, weapons, rockets, ships, and so on. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So join us next week, uh, Tuesday, 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern and uh, stay healthy and uh, keep pushing and making sure that uh, our kids have a fighting chance at winning against China 20 years from now. Thanks so much. Thank you.